This episode of the Women's Agenda podcast is brought to you by Breast Cancer Trials. Join them in their next free and online Q&A event on Wednesday, the 27th of July. Moderated by author and journalist Annabelle Crabb, this special event will look at breast cancer in young women from research and clinical trials to improving treatments and prevention strategies. To find out more, visit breastcancertrials.org.au or register now at the link in our description box. Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm the publisher of Women's Agenda. Shortly, I'll be joined by our guest co-host today, Nabi Mariam, who is a leading entrepreneur and the founder of Cover Hero. On the agenda today, the curious case of the Julie Bishop video and the push to get people back into the office. Plus, what is this new normal of working? Thank you so much for listening. So I'm here with my special co-host for this week, Nabi Mariam, who's the founder and CEO of InsureTech platform Cover Hero and Hustle Cover, which protects those in the gig economy. How are you, Nabi? I am very well, thank you. And uh, so good to talk to you again. Yes, I've done a podcast with you previously where you shared your story, starting at university at age 15 or something, arriving in Australia at age 23 with a new baby, seeing your academic career peak in your 20s and then navigating your way into being one of the very few women in the fintech space where you are now. You just made the comment that you've been in the fintech in tech for the last decade or so. So you're certainly not new to this space anymore. You've seen a lot in that time. And I think I also have to say happy birthday. So happy birthday for last week. Thank you. I am 40 now and I imagined this day coming and it was interesting to actually, you know, look back at myself for the last decade and think about, did I think this is where I would be in terms of life and career? The answer is I had no idea where I wanted to be and I kind of landed to where I am and just reflecting that I built a whole new career in the last decade and that was kind of the highlight. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. So um, congratulations on all of it and, yeah, happy birthday. I'm about to hit that milestone myself. I don't know why. It's just it's, it's such a creation in our own mind when we hit these certain age milestones that we have these certain ideas of the person that we're supposed to be by that point. I remember really struggling with it on turning 30 because I just still didn't really feel like an adult as I turned 30 and I was like, I felt like I was supposed to have it all figured out by now and that, you know, I should know what I'm doing and who I am and what's meant to happen next. And I can say I feel less of that now, but I have to say the last decade has felt exhausting. So I'm kind of kind of looking forward to the next in that way. <laughs> I kind of relate to that. I think last decade, 30s was, for me, all I wanted to do was start a career in technology and specifically in the startup space and transition into entrepreneurship from being an academic, right? So it's the opposite end of the spectrum and just learning as I went. So it was the decade of a big self-discovery, discovering my career again. So it was kind of like being reborn again. So now, you know, one week into my 40s and I'm like, doesn't feel like anything's different, but I feel like a lot of seeds have been planted in the last decade. And this decade, the next 10 years is going to be about growing those seeds and and watching what the fruits look like. Mm. Yeah, the fruits, all vegetables. I like that. I think I'll have to think about it that way for myself as well. 
So on the podcast, we do like to share a bit of a win that we've seen in the past few days. You've mentioned something to me, and I think it's worth mentioning here. Did you want to share the, the video that you've come across that, that's kind of gone viral in the past few weeks? Yeah, so I saw a video of Reshma Sojani. I'm not sure if I'm uh, pronouncing her name correctly. Impressive woman, founder and in politics as well. And in the video, she was like, we've been fed this propaganda that we need to do more, you know, to be able to do our jobs. Or, And then she just says, you know, we don't need to do, do any more. We don't need to do any more courses. We are good just the way we are. We are competent and capable as we are today to do what, whatever that we set our minds to do. We don't need more self-development and all of this stuff that is being fed to women and I thought that is a very interesting perspective because we are all on this, you know, relentless improvement journey. And I think we've seen this with all of the wellness stuff that's around and we've seen this with psychology or, or mental health becoming into the more mainstream and this relentless drive to make ourselves better. And which starts off the premise that something is wrong with us and, and we're starting from the process of like we are broken and therefore needs fixing. And I think changing the narrative to, hey, we can do this right now is a very fresh and a more empowering perspective rather than the alternative. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's taken a while to get to this point of being able to reject that fix the women narrative. And I think maybe in many ways it's taken COVID, it's taken, well, hey, you know what, female leaders actually do a pretty good job in times of crisis. Maybe they just hadn't had the opportunity to show just how good a job they've done. And I think we're also seeing it particularly in business and entrepreneurship. And it's like, hey, you know, it actually pays to kind of think about the ideas that women are coming up with. And it's worthwhile investing in these ideas and thinking about how you can support these careers and and just listening to their experience and what they bring to the table. I think like it's nice to see that shift finally. And I might say that that's also coming in the context of... Um, but just published a report from Chief Executive Women today. So this is in the corporate context. And what they've done is they've gone and analysed the 22 ASX corporates that they have determined are doing particularly well on gender diversity. And I'm pretty sure they've based that in terms of the amount of women in um, senior executive positions. But what they've found is, and this is actually my take on the story, is that it's not mentoring that makes the difference and it's not like confidence boosting workshops and all these other things that we've kind of been shoved (laughs) or or, or told that we need to do to get ahead but actually the thing that makes a difference to getting women promoted and paid more in these companies and actually hired in the first place is accountability and that's accountability on the uh, the senior executives it's accountability on the recruiters on the line managers it's accountability and making the commitments and having the data and saying, you know, we're actually going to hold you accountable for having an inclusive environment. So I think that's really interesting and it's just refreshing again to see them not trying to push the mentoring thing again. They talk about sponsorship, that sponsorship definitely has value and a lot more than mentoring. You know, it comes down to not fixing women but rather actually fixing the system around them. I agree. And I am so happy that you you brought up the topic about mentoring. And I was I've been really sick and tired of this because I started my career at a very young age, 
and got into very senior positions at a very young age and was exposed to a lot and took on a lot of responsibility. And then coming into the startup space, uh, being an entrepreneur, being a CEO, it's totally different. A lot of people assume there is a certain level of incompetence or, or requires a lot more education. And I'm like, I'm not 18. Mm. I don't need the same level of hand holding or guidance that you would expect to give an 18 year old or a 20 year old that's out of uh, university. You know, I've done over a decade in my career and, and therefore what I need is to be treated at that level rather than we need to teach you how to do X, Y, Z, or I would get like LinkedIn requests from people saying, Hey, I would love to mentor you and help you anywhere I can. And then when we have investment discussions as well, a lot of people would be like, I'm, I'm not ready to invest now, but would love to help you in any way I can. And I'm like, write a damn check and let me do my job. <laughs> That's great. I know. Just write. Yeah, the, the money will help. The mon- money will make it happen and the money will benefit you as well. I need you to capitalize the business. Did I ask you to mentor <laughs> me? I'm asking you to invest in this business. And after a while, I just laugh at it. You know, when people say, hey, I, I really love everything about you, everything about the business, blah, blah, blah. But you know, I would choose to mentor you than actually write a check. <laughs> it's just like, and also it's like more time that you don't have to go and be mentored on things that you don't need to know. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to get to a bit of a discussion. And I think I've got some ideas of where this discussion will go, but then I also know that you will take it in places that'll be incredible to hear your thoughts on and your insights on. So basically there's this video out this week. You've you've spoken about a video, so I'll speak about another video. And I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I hope that if you haven't, you can go and find six minutes of time to watch it today. The video is an employee induction video, or maybe it's trying to be an employee like attraction video. I'm not quite sure. And it features former Minister for Foreign Affairs, Julie Bishop, who has just been appointed strategic advisor for this particular mining company, which is Mineral Resources, based in uh, Western Australia. And so the video has gotten some airplay on Breakfast TV this week. It's all over the internet. I think they're kind of, you know, they're getting their, their money out of it because a lot of money has been spent on this video. And basically it shows a very well-dressed uh, Julie Bishop going to work at Mineral Resources at their very well-appointed and beautiful offices. And by beautiful, like it's immaculate, it's that polished vibe, but it's almost kind of dystopian in a way because it just is way too much. And it reminds me of this 1990s film, um, Gattaca. I don't know if you would have seen that. But anyway, so Bishop goes about her day. She goes to the stunning gym. It's a wellness centre. For some reason, she bumps into actor Kate Walsh there. There's this whole point made about how there's hair straighteners and everyone gets to feel good and feel well in this beautiful office. She gets coffee. She goes and sits in her beautiful open plan, various offices, wherever she feels like. And there's there's so many whys about this, about this film. But it's also gotten asking me why in terms of, you know, what is actually making a good place to work now? What's actually an office that makes people want to go to that office now? There's obviously a lot of talk about this and there's a lot of in the sense of we've been working from home for a while now or we've been working from home in a hybrid way and I I get the, the feeling of wanting to be around a team and wanting to be around others but I just don't think that, you know, this great corporate gym or cafe or something is going to be it. 
What is your take? Are you ready to be in an office and have your team in an office? And if you were, like, what would you do to make it happen and make it appealing to everyone? So interesting that you brought this this up because last two weeks I've just been been grappling with it. What does what does moving forward look like after these two years of this massive global shock, right, of, of our time collectively? And I think corporate, like big corporate companies versus tech startups versus certain companies that require people to be face to face have to think differently around what this future model could look like. But for me, I can speak from, you know, where where our business is and we have distributed teams and we don't have an office uh, since the pandemic happened. Um, For me, I am still very much living like I'm in lockdown. I have the same routine as I did in lockdown. I work the same kind of way. So I am sort of kind of in denial around where the world is going and the world is moving on. And I feel like I'm refusing to move on with it because I really enjoyed uh, the little filter bubble. I really enjoyed spending more quality time with my son, um, being home, being able to go to the gym, eat better and do all this kind of stuff. Now, the downside to that is some very basic things around the normal amount of walking that we would do if we were to commute that's totally gone. I have to make an effort to leave the house, to go and walk, to get my steps in. It's not in my routine, right? So think about what is the impact of that. Um, Then I have to orchestrate social encounters, which means I have to go into the city, make a phone call, organize somebody to catch up. And during work hours and during work day, I don't have that interaction And my only way of connecting with people is going out after work, whether it's dancing or dinner or drinks or whatever that looks like, right? So there is this social element that that really is missing. And I think that is what's really important is how do we connect to community again and how do we maintain the deep connections that we made during lockdown, right? And finding the balance of those two. Before the pandemic, it was all about everybody being in office and being and commuting so much and really neglecting ourselves and our personal lives and family life and all of this kind of stuff. Now we've gone to the other end of the spectrum and we are pushing to find a way back in. And I don't think we should rush in rushing people back into the office with gyms and hair straighteners. That's not what drives connection or um, productivity, right? really drives that is creating a creative space for self-expression, a creative space for people to connect and allowing people to choose what they want to do, right? Um, there might be groups of people that really want to connect and go back to the office. Their home environment might not be conducive for that. There might be other groups or the type of work that they do where sitting at home and doing uninterrupted work is actually more beneficial. So I think for me, the way I'm, I'm still like grappling with the idea I don't have a path forward um, is really assessing what does the company need to achieve and who needs to do what and what teams need that kind of like creative environment to be face-to-face bounce of ideas versus teams that might not need that, right? Then on an individual level, um, how do we take care of the well-being of the individual? And I think it's, it has to become this very hyper-personalized uh, a dynamic approach 
rather than one set policy for everybody in an organization. And this is the challenge for the CEOs and the leaders to figure that out, right? Yeah, and to um, go a little deeper on it, I think, than trying to fill gaps with like the wellness centre. I found the wellness centre just, I don't know, particularly off. There is one thing, I mean, I know that it, it was, I mean, I believe the head office is based in Western Australia and I, I feel like there, there obviously has been a different vibe um, between the states through the last couple of years. I think I felt that recently when I was in Brisbane. I was like, oh, it's kind of like everyone is just at work and it's back to normal and the city is jumping and it was it was really great atmosphere and I sort of sensed, but maybe they hadn't really had that full-on extended lockdown and that full-on extended work from home that um, we, we've had more of in some of the other states. So it could be a little bit of that going on, that it is different in different locations. But I do think that it sort of feels almost lazy as well, just to revert to, oh, if we just make the office as beautiful as possible, people will want to be there. It's like, actually, the office can, can, can be like... Uh, the most uninspiring place possible what matters in that office are the people in there and how included they feel and how creative they feel and how able they feel to be able to fulfill their potential with their colleagues that's what's ultimately going to matter and if you can't you can't just kind of create that with nice architecture or by throwing money at nice cafes and um, facilities it's the same thing as um you know the the tech companies uh of kind of, what, 10, 15 years ago. I'm sure they still do this, but they'd have, like, these environments where they really encourage their engineers to try and stay um, as long as possible, really. That seemed to be the whole process of it. It's like, you know, you have your your lunches at work, you have your gaming rooms, you have your sleeping pods, you have your, like, uh, pool tables and you can go and play your bass guitar somewhere. And, you know, it's sort of like, well, why can't you just send these people at home to participate in their hobbies and, and leave them to come to work when when they need to be there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that happens so much in, in tech companies, right? And I think there is there is a shift happening there as well because these big tech companies are leading the way in, in how to, you know, run full distributed teams. I think where we think is like a quarterly meetup or a monthly meetup if, if all teams are distributed, somehow find a way for people to connect. Because a lot of the deep work happens alone and then some of the inspiration for work happens is catalyzed by connection and energy and thinking more around how to create meaningful connections at work that facilitate, you know, better outcomes is is probably the line of thinking rather than let's make fancy offices and entice people to come. Because you got to realize what we're asking people to give up is you know, connection with the family or a certain lifestyle that they've set up and um, not being forced into go to work uh, with, you know, commute and all of this stuff. So just like really taking into account why we need people to go into work, into the office and rush people back into the office. How do you actually measure it? Like, does it increase the productivity or does it not increase the productivity and look at the data and, and get the input from the team as well, right? And I think it's a learning process now. Mm, yeah, I think the why is a critical piece of it for employees to consider. And I think that even goes back to the beginning of the conversation. Like just I think more of us are now saying why. It's that like, well, well, why do we have to do that? I know that it's always been done like that, but we saw how quickly things can change. So why can't it be done this way? And the same with, um, you know, being told that you need to fix yourself or get more confident or 
go and do this course and get this mentor. It's like, well, why? <laughs> like, actually, I've got this experience or I, I feel like I know what I'm doing here and I feel like I've got some good instincts here. Why do I need to go and do this? So always asking why. Yeah. So I want to get to your your work, a little bit more specific about your work, and just to ask about current kind of wins that you've had there, like going through a couple of things through LinkedIn and across your Twitter account as well. I can see that you seem to have come across some pretty awesome breakthroughs with, with what you're doing and what you're looking to achieve. Yeah, there's been a whole range of things that has happened in the last two years uh, for us to really, you know, take a step back and look at what is it that we are trying to build and what is the best path to build it and then test the environment to see what is the best way to achieve that, right? So we're building embedded insurance specifically geared around the future of work, which brings together the creator economy, the gig economy, contract workforce. So really moving towards the self-employed economy, right? Which is so much broader than Uber drivers, etc. So we had to really think about building something that would work for the knowledge workforce and the the more labor kind of workforce, right? The needs, the income, what kind of protection do we need to, to design in terms of insurance? What are the platforms that are out there and what is emerging? So a whole bunch of things have happened in the last two years. So we changed the direction of our technology massively based on the feedback that we got. So it was a real time for us to not completely pivot, but really fine tune the way we design the product. Um, And then really listen to the feedback from the market. And we are still committed to enhancing the quality of life for a person that's self-employed, right? Their financial well-being and their physical and mental well-being and providing the protection and and building a community around that. So we recently, you know, closed a round of funding as well. And we've got a very exciting, you know, pipeline of platforms that are coming on board and, you know, teams started growing and it only happened quite recently, right? So even though we've had some really great wins um, in the last couple of years, we have been very deliberate in the pace Um, very deliberate in the way that we move because when we launched our first product in beta which was in 2020 and this was two months before the pandemic and in financial services 2019 2020 were a really big year in terms of the royal commission um, and all this like new legislation coming into place right so we had to really watch the Australian regulatory um, landscape to see how that would impact what products we were going to build or the way we were going to go about it and how that would that would help us or think the rethink the way that we move. So we've been very deliberate in the way we thought about it and then looking at what does scaling look like in other marketplaces, in other jurisdictions. So rather than, you know, blitz scale, move fast and break things, we took the approach of let's really slow down and really understand and let's get, you know, critical feedback to then be able to start growing when the time comes. And I think that time is now. Uh, People are loving the freedom of working for themselves and really enjoying the creativity that comes with it 
huge opportunity of financial services to step up and create products, not just in insurance, right? Whether it is in lending or banking or superannuation or investments, whatever it may be, to really think about this is not a micro segment. This is, you know, uh, MasterCard predicts that it's going to be about 50% of the global workforce. And that is a big number and heavily um, ignored, I would say, at the moment. And, and there's, there's stuff happening. But it's a big segment. It's going to be as big as the corporate sector. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a, it is a massive segment and you're right. It's um, all these different opportunities, which it does really feel like um, the, the big established players have been really late to consider. Can I ask, what, what, what was the idea for you? What, what sparked the idea of, of focusing on the creator economy? I know that you've mentioned that it's obviously shifted and pivoted, but that first kind of seed of an idea for yeah. you. So it kind of evolved, right? So I have been self-employed for a, over a decade um, and always had like multiple side hustles, et cetera. And then in 2017, um, when before I started Cover Hero, I was, I was working uh, with my partner at the time uh, in this consulting firm and then he got very sick and we had to lodge all these insurance claims. And one of the critical things that happened was that was the first time that I actually looked at insurance and, and lodged the insurance and I discovered how difficult it was and how it doesn't take into account the person that bought the insurance or being employed, mm. right? So I was like, why is it like this? So that's kind of how it started. And then throughout that journey, just by speaking to insurers, speaking to different platforms, um, we realized that there is a way that we could build technology to plug into this big creator economy, right? Or gig economy. And one of my previous startups was Australia's first rideshare platform for kids. So having built a gig economy platform, I understand the challenges, the opportunities of the, of the ecosystem. Um, and one of the things that you know, gig economy workers face is this cash flow issue and the margins are very small and then the lack of protection, right? So there's a whole range of basic foundational stuff that's missing. And I wanted to create that through insurance and creating an, a, an insurance product that is going to create this baseline and thinking about the technology that can integrate into an existing ecosystem, whether it is professional services platforms or whether it is, you know, delivery platforms or jobs platforms or, you know, the hot topic of Web3 space and creators creating um, creating their, their, their products and, and making money. How do you pr protect that kind of uh, space and what does the future look like, right, in a, in a Web3 environment? Then we have the rise of content creators on TikTok and, and Instagram and YouTube and the amount of money these social platforms are putting into the creator economy to help the creators monetize their time and their passion. Um, so it's a whole different segment, which is not really discussed at this point, because a lot of people are still in the mindset of gig economy is just Uber, right? And I think we need to change that label. It is the creator economy. You are creating the life that you want by doing what you love and working the way that you want and you're monetizing that time and your expertise, which is a really 
different way of saying you're working by the hour and getting paid by the hour, which is not the case. You're doing a whole range of other things. You might be driving for Uber in the morning and then you might create Instagram content and you might have, you know, a million followers and you're creating that content that is running a, like a full-time job, right? There's so many nuances that are not understood. And I just discovered that along the journey, the more I dive deeper into it, the more problems I discovered. And then it became very clear this is the segment that we want to be the category leader for. Um, and that is not business insurance. That is protecting a human being and their assets. Mm, yeah, yeah. And really appealing to uh, individuals as being multifaceted rather than, and again, like it's just, it speaks to the shift that we've seen and experienced and all been a part of that we are not one thing. We're not just one job. We're not just one corporate career with the corporate wellbeing gym space as well, just to bring it back to the, the start of the conversation. Like I love that, that it's appealing to all those different things. And I also love what you said about the um, kind of rejecting that idea of the move fast and break things notion when I just think there's a lot of broken things out there because things have moved too fast, especially in the technology world. And so taking a slower approach and moving and pivoting with the times I think is is truly valuable so thank you for thank you for joining me I'll, I'll um it's been incredible as well you have so much wisdom and so many insights I love hearing them so we'll have to get you back on here again um again congrats on all everything that you've done and your recent milestone and all the best for for the next I don't want to say the next decade because I hope to speak to you in the coming months, but I guess the next the next portion of the career and of your life and all the things that you'll do. Absolutely. Thank you. It was such fun talking to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that you can catch up on all the stories that we've discussed on our website where you can also subscribe to our daily newsletter at womensagenda.com.au forward slash subscribe. We will have some links to the various stories uh, in the podcast notes and I'll also share the piece that we ran on uh, Nabi last year, I believe it was. It shares a little bit more about her very impressive career story. So thank you for listening.